Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. Um, today I'm talking to Radha Ruparel, who's a guest um, who's written a, an interesting book, uh, has a fascinating story, and um, uh, even better accent. So, hi Radha, how are you? Hi Russell, good to be with you. Fantastic. Well, where in the world are you? Because I can, I can spot that's not a British accent by the sounds of it. So tell me where you are. I am Canadian by birth, but I uh, live in New York City. Right. Oh, right. So that's the, uh, there's no aboots going on for you. It's all, it's, <laughs> you've got the New Yorker twang, have you? I've been in New York long enough now, so I've lost a little bit of the Canadian, but I'm still Canadian at heart. Right. Oh, you say heart with a T at the end. That's right. So <laughs> there you are. You say your T's. Brilliant. Well, it's lovely to talk to you today and thanks for spending time with us. Um, why not tell everybody a little bit about you? Sure. Um, so a little bit about myself and what I do. So Russell, I've been working with leaders around the world for the last two decades around growing their leadership. Um, so Fortune five, uh, 500 executives, CEOs, social entrepreneurs. Um, and these days I had a leadership accelerator that works with leaders around the world who are reimagining education. So that's my day job. Uh, one of the things that I've always believed is that growing our leadership is deeply personal work, right? Understanding ourselves, understanding how we relate to one another, how we manage uncertainty. And this past year, I went through the most difficult experience of my life, uh, the most difficult traumatic experiences. I fell deeply ill with COVID at the peak of the global pandemic. Right. And all these leadership lessons I've been working with others on, how to navigate uncertainty, how to be compassionate, how to deal with change. I had to live myself on a daily basis to get through this turning point in my life. Okay, well, let's unpack that first of all. And so, so, tell, a bit, so tell us a little bit about what happened to you in the COVID bit and what, what, what actually happened. What was your story through the COVID piece itself? Sure. So let me just paint the picture for you. April 2020, it's New York. It's the beginning of the first wave. Uh, the city is in frenzy. You can't get anything in the stores. The hospitals are getting overrun. I'm on a conference call, just something like this. And I find myself getting short of breath. And two days later, I realized that I have COVID. Um, I am uh, bedridden. Uh, there are things happening to my body that are unimaginable. Uh, I feel like someone's drugged me with sleeping pills. Nice. I have chest pains. I have trouble even just getting a uh, even just getting a breath of air. Um, and at this point, the hospitals didn't even have personal protective equipment. They were making makeshift facilities. And so I had doctor friends who said, unless you're on your last legs, 
stay at home. Um, and so that was my first couple of months. I ended up in the hospital, um, but almost every night I would go to bed and wasn't sure if I was going to make it. Wow. Um, and, and, and then I became one of what you might have read in the news, those long haulers, even when I went through that first couple of months and I finally realized, all right, I'm going to get through the next night. It's a year on and I'm still dealing with a wave of symptoms um, that haven't disappeared. And so wow. that's a bit of my story. Yeah. So, so we call that long COVID over here. So, 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 t- so tell me about the sort of effects you still have today. Yeah, um, luckily that I'm here with you right now means yeah. I'm doing a lot better. I'm, I'm back at work, um, but I still have waves of fatigue. Yeah. Um, so if I overextend myself mentally or physically, I used to, Russell, be so active before this happened. I used to surf, play tennis, run. Now I'm able to walk, but any activity more than that, my heart shoots up and I have to stop. Um, sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night and uh, my heart races at 150 beats a minute, which I can't tell you how terrifying that is. And so again, luckily I'm, I'm one of the folks who now more than 12 months out is, is able to, to live my regular life, but with a lot of adjustments. Some other people I know still can't even get out of bed, which is yeah. just terrible. And people forget that because there's so many people, because the people who talk to each other, the ones who had it like myself, who had relatively minor symptoms which were bad enough but you know but you do notice that there is a a level of fatigue still left in your body don't you everybody seems to talk about that yeah that's right and there's tens of thousands of people suffering with long COVID I think it's so silent because as you say it's slightly invisible because people don't see what you're going through at night or um when they're not there so it's yeah it's something that I worry a lot about the trouble is with the the symptoms are similar to um, almost work based exhaustion or almost the beginnings of burnout, which a lot of people have had. And so you often find people competing for resources and sympathy, almost, don't you? Because and it's 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 who triumphs, you know, you know who's got because the, the symptoms are the same. It's it's, it's interesting in a work setting who gets the attention. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's why it's one of those things that can be difficult to talk about because, you know, you don't want to be perceived as someone who's, yeah, just taking something out of the system. At the same time, Russell, I'll say, you know, I have worked intensely for all my life. I've dealt with the burnout that's come from working a difficult job. And this is, this is different. You know, I think the doctors are recognizing there's actually physiological underpinnings um, and unless we start recognizing it, we're not going to do the right research or we might, you know, pat someone on the back and say, hey, you can actually work through it when we may need rehabilitation, we may need support. So yeah. I think that's one of the things like, how do we draw attention to it? But how do we distinguish between these things that yeah, are just very difficult to understand still? So much is still unknown. Yes. And the trouble is that because it's an intermittent condition, because you can work, but then be tired. Uh, it's like a chronic fatigue type thing, isn't it? We're high functioning chronic fatigue. And the trouble is people don't, it's easy to deal with people who are in hospital with a broken leg because A, you can see it, B, it, there's evidence. And the trouble is when, when it results in CFS, it's, 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 there's always some vague suspicion about whether people are, whether there's actually something wrong with people. It's a sad fact, isn't it? And it's the it's thing that the mental health world has had to contend with for many, many years, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I mean, I'll give you a specific example of this. And this was early on in my illness, but it's, I think, why I'm so passionate about finding a way to talk about it. But 
in the early days of my illness, when I would go to doctors, oftentimes they would say, you know, all right, are you sure you're not just tired or anxious? And I can tell you as someone at that point who was struggling with deep physical symptoms, that was the most frustrating experience. I remember I had one doctor who said to me, honey, maybe you should try some yoga. And at that point, I, I, had, lo I had lost 10 pounds, 10% of my body weight. You know, I was waking up in the middle of the night with my heart racing. I knew something was physically wrong. Yeah. Two days later, I ended up in the emergency room. Uh, a week later, they found a lesion in my brain. So there was actually physical things going on. But then being dismissed by someone, and again, I don't blame the doctors, they were dealing with so many patients, high uncertainty had to triage. But I think that's where us finding a way to separate, you know, something that may, may be mental, but also recognizing that there might be physical things going on and not dismissing people feels so important. Yeah. And of course, you have to fall back in your own reserves of strength and energy and mental toughness, call, you know, whatever the glib phrases or cliches are. Um, so how, how did you cope with that? Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Again, I said I do work with leaders on this, and I had to basically apply all the same lessons myself. You know, one of the things I realized was uh, the single biggest thing that helped me was having a strong support network yeah. and reaching out to people for help. You know, in the early days, I didn't even have energy to to reach out for help. So only one or two people knew what I was going through, my sister and a doctor friend, because I couldn't find energy to even speak. I would get short of breath. Yeah. Um, but I remember two or three days after I got sick, a work colleague who I'd mentioned, I can't make it to a meeting, I think I might have COVID, started reaching out to me. And she started reaching out to me every day. Now, we weren't even close friends before this. To this day, Russell, she has continued to reach out. Okay. And that has been a lifeline for me, you know, having a couple of consistent people. And one of the things I learned is, you know, I grew up in an environment where you don't share your personal troubles with people. Mm -hmm. You know, being strong means toughing it out, not complaining. I think the thing I've discovered over the past year is that being strong is the opposite. You know, when you're dealing with something, being able to actually share what you're dealing with, even if it's your fears and your vulnerabilities, I don't think I would have been able to get through this without that. Yeah. People see asking for help as such a sign of weakness, but it, it, it really isn't, isn't it? The trouble is that you have to be vulnerable you have to be open to it, but you discover that there's a lot of goodness in the world, but there's a sort of, there's an implied cynicism, isn't there, that most people are out to get us in some way, shape or form, which probably it's just imagined to to yes. to a greater or lesser degree i think yeah i think so and i think i discovered this right and again i used to be super private i would never share the 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 things that i was going on i you know i believed myself to be resilient which i thought you know a year ago meant just again toughing it out and doing yeah. it on my own and i have just discovered how beautiful human connection is because what happened is when I started reaching out to others, you know, one thing that was surprising is over time, people then started sharing themselves with me. Yeah. And what I've discovered is that everybody is dealing with things. And we're walking around, not just with these physical masks, but these invisible masks where we're hiding the human parts of ourselves. Like why just share, not, you know, why just share our strengths? Why not talk about our fears? Because when we do, we start realizing that everybody else is human too, and everybody has a story. Well, a lot of what's going on in America today is all about fear. I mean, for, you know, we can look at the wider macro political extent. It's all about fear. Every single thing is about fear. 
And um, if only people could realize that and be brave enough to recognize it, that's how you move on, isn't it? You have to recognize, you have to, you have to understand where you are in order to be able to actually make change happen, haven't you? Yeah, and I think that's one of the problems with our go, 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 go society. And again, it's something I train leaders on, but I also have developed this capacity in myself to slow down and pause. Because if we don't take a moment to slow down and pause and just even ask ourselves what's going on within us. I have a coach that I work with and she has this very simple practice uh, called the inner selfie. Uh, And it's just, it takes a minute And between meetings or events in your day, just take a moment to check in with yourself. What's happening in your mind? What's happening in your heart? What's happening in your body? Very simple. And just in those moments, you can say, I've got some fear or I've got some frustration with someone. And unless you pause and actually recognize what's going on, you're just gonna drag that into the conversation. Um, And so I think this ability to pause and notice what scares us, that's the first step. You're absolutely right. And, and what you've just done there is illustrated brilliantly this idea that you're not defining yourself by this situation. It's not that I am anxious, you know, it's I have, I'm experiencing anxiety. It's not that I am frightened, it's I am experiencing the symptoms of fear. So then you can actually rationalize this. But I think too often exactly. we relabel re- ourselves or frame ourselves in such a way that we, we disempower ourselves, don't we? That's exactly right. I mean, we have multiple identities, first of all, and we are shifting in every moment. And, yeah. and, and this, this constraining ourselves to, you know, for example, if I said I am sick versus, okay, I have symptoms right now, it's such a difference. And, yeah. you know, I think Russell, it gets me to something that I've, I've discovered even more powerfully over this past few months, which is the power of language, right? Yeah. The power of what we tell ourselves. You know, I'll give you another example. I used to, in the first couple of months, wake up and I could just tell what my body was like, you know, is it going to be a good day or a bad day? And so I started saying to myself, "Uh uh-oh, I'm feeling not well, this is going to be a bad day. That framing, that language was so destructive because you know what would happen, you know, the minute you say it's a bad day, any symptom that comes up, I'm like, yep, see, there we go, it's a bad day. And so I started training myself to just change my language. To just say in those moments, okay, I'm having an off moment. That's it. And and what was great about that was two things. One, at least I'm acknowledging with truth what's happening in that moment. So I'm not dismissing it. But that meant that any moment after that, I have a choice. And so I think just this this power of language and what we say to ourselves means means a lot. And especially when we're dealing with hard times. Yeah. And I mean, the the CBT people believe that feelings are generated by thoughts and language. So, you know, if you subscribe to that view of the world, then it, it's, it, there is a power in what we say that how we feel follows not on naturally. So that makes a lot of sense, isn't there? No doubt about it. Yeah. I mean, the other thing though I've learned is that it's, you know, it's also okay to be with wherever you're at. You know, again, I, I told you, I used to think you got to tough it out. One of the things I'm just learning now is, you know, I can pause and in a moment say, okay, right now I have a feeling of anger yeah. or right now I have a feeling of fear. And so I'm not saying, you know, some, sometimes we're not ready to move into the what's next, um, but I've discovered that, yeah, just being able to pause and, and be with whatever's there, that can also be quite healing as well. Yeah, And you're absolutely right, because that's all just information. And people, right. You know, you're not defined by 
what's what you're experiencing. It's just actually giving you some information about yourself to make some choices from. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, one of the things, and, and it's hard when you're deep in the trauma. So I, I can't say I was like this in my first couple of months. But one of the things I learned, I have uh, six nieces and nephews all under the age of 10. And I just watch the way they go through life. And I was watching my nieces and nephews in, in England, actually, uh, on FaceTime, learn how to ride a bike. And they would get on the bike and they would fall down and they would get on the bike and then fall down and they would just get back up again. Yeah. And so I think the other thing about taking in information is sometimes we're so serious and significant about it. But one of the things I've learned is just as this new information comes in, just being playful with it. So now yeah. when I have these crazy thoughts that come in my head, I'm like, they're not my thoughts. Uh, there we go, Rada. There's that thought again that you're never going to get over this. And I have a little chuckle at myself. And all of a sudden, that thing that was so heavy and significant doesn't seem that significant anymore. So yes. I think sometimes we've got to take this childlike quality, to even the things that feel really serious. Yeah, I think perspective has been given to us through COVID, hasn't it? I think um, seeing our place, seeing our place as human beings around other human beings, I mean, and also the global, global heating problem is another thing that's going to bind us all together or it's, or it's going to bind us together or kill us so we have to it, it, that sense of perspective is important as a human being because it's not we, we become too much the center of the world rather than seeing our place in it which i think is you know a perspective that people with strong sense of faith also have but if you don't have that sense of faith you need that perspective to come from somewhere else don't you yeah, that's right. I think one of the things in this era is we're just realizing how deeply interconnected we are yeah. um, and that how I show up affects you. And I think COVID has just shown us that in such a different way. You know, we always talked about it being a global world, but now we truly get it because yeah. people in one part of the world are going through a similar experience to people yeah. in the other part of the world. And so, yeah, I do think sometimes it's disruption can be tricky and yet sometimes it's what we need to wake us up and i do think this has woken us up yeah. many of us well i hope so but um you never know do you there's a lot of people who pretending it's not even happening so you know yeah that must don't be very galling for you don't, <laughs> don't get me started on that uh that that um yeah that allows me to practice my how do I how do I keep calm in the face of um, things that uh, that can I make me angry. Sh shouting and screaming and <laughs> and shouting and swearing and cursing is a good way to do it. Well, tell so you've also been busy writing a book. Did you do this at the same time or was this done beforehand? Yeah, well, so the story about the book is um, uh, sixteen days into to being sick. This is this is at the point where. You know, I was bedridden. I, I, I couldn't get out of bed. I was suffering. Um, I had not turned on my computer in 16 days, but one of the things that happened is the illness happened in waves. And so I'd have one or two good hours. And on day 16, I got up and I needed to process what was going on. And so I wrote a two-page article and it was just honestly meant to be for my family and friends. This is what I'm dealing with. This is COVID. And here's a couple of things I've learned along the way. I'm not even the type who posts on social media, but for some reason in that moment, I posted it to the publishing platform Medium. And in two weeks, 20,000 people had read it. And they yeah. said, wow, this is just giving me a completely different perspective. Please keep writing. Um, and so that's how this book came to be. It was basically just you know, a sto my story, but all these life and leadership lessons that I've learned along the way that I was applying to myself. And so... 
basically over the next, you know, six months on weekends, when I'd have a burst of energy, I would just write a few words. And, um, and that's the book. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's my story, but 19 very, very practical lessons around how we can be resilient. How do we slow down? How, how do we discover our inner strength? How do we learn how to be vulnerable? Um, many of the things that helped me get through these, uh, these past months. Hmm. And the book's called um, Brave Now. If, yes, if that's right. Brave so, Now, Rise Through Struggle and Unlock Your Greatest Self. That's right. That's the slogan. And you can find it at bravenowbook.com. Um, so tell us a little bit about, um, so a couple of the big sort of takeaways from the book, would you say? Yeah, so one of the, one of the takeaways was just around how do we deal with uncertainty and how do we deal with uh, resistance in our lives? So I'll, I'll give you an example. And, and, I, and I talk about this a lot because I think we're in an environment now where there's a lot of uncertainty and that's not gonna go away. No. And I think the, the biggest mistake we make is when we resist it. And I'll give, a, I'll, I'll give a specific example just to bring it to life. You know, in the early days of my illness, uh, I faced something called brain fog where uh, I was not able to concentrate. And this was the first month I wanted to be able to read what was going on, how I could help myself. And I would stare at my screen and I couldn't read words on a page. Wow. And it was the most frustrating experience for me. And I would try harder and try harder and try harder. And then I would feel sicker and sicker and sicker. Yeah. And so for like, for weeks, I just, I, 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 I just kept trying, I kept trying. And finally, I realized that resisting, it's not our circumstances that kill us, it's our resistance to them. Yeah. Finally, when I learned how to accept this is what's going on, that's when I started having relief. You know, one, one of the most beautiful things that came out of that is when I stopped resisting, you know, I discovered that the strategies that I use, you know, trying to power through things, exercise, walking to help me through these difficult times weren't there, but I discovered something on the other end and that was music. Yeah. You know, music was the one thing that helped me for the next month get through difficult nights, but it was only when I stopped resisting that I discovered that. Yes. So one of the lessons I hear, like I talk a lot about is on the other side of resistance is discovery. Yes. Um, so that's just something about dealing with uncertainty. I think, I think, I, I think you're, yeah, I think that's spot on. I really love that because I think people see that resilience is about toughing it out, but it isn't, it's actually about acceptance. That's and right. If you accept yourself as you are, sometimes that's the bit where you get the enlightenment piece because that's the beginning of bouncing back, isn't it? It's, it's the beginning of saying, well, where's the innovation? Where's the creativity? How do we suddenly, how do we have space in our lives to spot the difference? And, um, Tell me about the music thing. What, what, what was the music that um, inspired you then? Yeah. Hopefully so cheesy and terrible. Uh, you know, the funny thing was because I couldn't process words. I started yeah. listening to Italian music. I couldn't understand the words, but it was beautiful. Thank goodness my building is soundproof because when I was having bouts of insomnia, I would put Italian music on, on my loudspeakers and it would calm me. And I would pace up and down my apartment because again, another discovery I had yeah. was that movement, movement was calming movement music connecting with other people in a way that i had never never done before and so you're absolutely right when we start accepting you know this is this is who i am this is my new reality it, it doesn't prevent us from from hoping for something more i think that's the other thing russell i've learned around 
uncertainty, we can hold two competing ideas in tension. And so over the last year, I've learned how to both accept what is happening and still be curious for what might be possible. And I can hold both of these two competing ideas. So I think that's another thing. Yeah. Um, but aspiration comes from acceptance. It becomes from being accountable and understanding where you are in the world, because that's what drives aspiration, isn't it? You have to, it's the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Just because, you're, just because you recognize that you're having a, a bad moment doesn't mean your aspiration goes away. It just means that the plan changes. That's the difference, isn't it? That's exactly right. And you know, you were asking me, what are, what are some of the other themes in my book? And you just mentioned a word here, which is creativity. Mm. Well, I believe we can live a created life. Yeah. You know, we oftentimes live a life that's what we should do, what we're supposed to do. I actually hate that word should. Anytime I find myself saying that, yeah. I actually pause and notice, um, you know, I, I stop and say, well, why should I be? And I think actually one of the gifts this, this illness has given me is because so many of the things, the routines that I took for granted were, were disappeared, I was forced to be creative. So again, in my first few months, I would have to pause every hour or two and lie down just to get my energy back. But that actually forced me to get much more creative about work. Now, something that I used to be terrible at before saying no, I've become great at it because I had to learn yeah. how to operate in a different way. And so I just think this idea of you know, can we get rid of some of our default ways of being Question some of the things we've just done yeah. the way they've been done and, and, and allow ourselves to be a bit more creative. It's so much more freeing. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's quite fascinating, isn't it? This idea that we can't say no. Um, I mean, how we say no is, is interesting, but the point is that when we're doing less, we actually do more. And people, you've got to, this is, this is a, again, it's like high, high, you know, holding two contrary ideas in your head. There's something in leadership management that says that in order to get ahead, you've got to work at a, a gangbusters all the time. But that it's just ridiculous. You can only do one thing well at a time. That's a brain thing. And, that's, that's, and so why do we right. spend our entire lives cluttering our heads up? It's bizarre. It makes no sense. It, it, it is. And I think when I when you start investigating it, you yeah. realize, you know, a few things, right? We we get some, you know, we're in this world where we get rewarded for quick fixes, yeah. right? checking things off our list. So we have this feeling of accomplishment and yet we never feel accomplished unless we're doing the important things that are connected to our deeper purpose. So doing one or two things well that are really meaningful, I agree with you, can make a difference. Yeah. The other thing on this, Russell, that I realized was that, um, you know, for me in, in the first few months, I technically lost time because again, I was saying I had to lie down for hours in the day just to have energy and yet I didn't feel like I lost it. And here's what I discovered that's counterintuitive. One of the little, I, I started writing these love notes to myself in my apartment just to keep myself motivated. And one of the little notes I wrote on a post-it note on my refrigerator was don't waste the good moments. Yeah. And so when I was physically uh, able to sit up, I was able to do work. Before I would take that for granted, now I said to myself, I'm not going to waste it. I'm going to be present. I'm going to be fully with the person I'm, I'm with. I'm not going to be distracted. And so while I technically lost time in the day when I was present, it almost felt like time expanded. So I think that's the other thing. You know, if we want to do more, it's actually just around being present in the it's, moments that we have instead of being distracted all the time. Acceptance and presence. 
are the same thing, aren't they? It's a, you know, what is the terrible old phrase about time is, pre there's a reason why time is in the present. The reason it's called the present, isn't it? But uh, there's a lot of people who spend an inordinate amount of time um, being at home with their children, but actually doing work and emails and everything, rather than saying, you know, I'm going, to, I'm going to give you five quality minutes. Well, I'll do that in five minutes rather than pretending to do it over the next three hours. So it really That's counts. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like a small amount of quality time can make a difference. Yeah. You know, I'll give you another example. We can do all our activities with quality and it doesn't take time. Now, you know, in this environment where we can finally give people hugs, yeah. you know, I will give a very mindful hug. I saw my, my family for the first time in two years, just a couple of weeks ago, I went oh, to Canada yeah. and just taking 10 seconds and giving your partner or a family member, a child, a, an embrace, but being present in it yeah. can be far more powerful. Same thing, a five minute conversation where you have presence is far better than two hours when you're ignoring someone. And so it doesn't have to take that much time. Um, you know, again, I, I, I've learned that someone listening to me for 30 seconds and truly listening when I was dealing with things could make my concern disappear. <laughs> Something that I've been hanging on to for months. And so I just think quality, quality of our presence matters. Brilliant. I love it. Well, I thought we were going to have a, a good um, chat and disagree with everything, but as always, we've ended up agreeing. So that's been fantastic. <laughs> tell, tell everyone how they can find out more about your work. Where can they find what you've been up to? Perfect. Yeah, you can check out my, my book, Brave Now, at bravenowbook.com, or you can find it at Amazon. And uh, my name is Radha Ruparel. Um, yeah, and I hope, you, I hope you check it out and just discover something for yourself, because I think the biggest thing that I'm committed to is I just believe we all have these deep wells of inner strength inside ourselves and how magical the world can be if we can tap into them and share them with others. Yeah, totally agree. Well, and on that note, I think it's time we say goodbye. So thank you for spending and being present with us in time today. I really, really appreciated it. Thank you, Russell. You take care. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed. And if you're in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.